Hello and welcome to Top Landing Gear and to aviation's most audacious feats. An episode featuring the RAF pilot who is responsible for one of the most outrageous aviation stunts ever when he flew his Hawker Hunter jet fighter through Tower Bridge in London. We'll hear from the man himself, Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock, later in the show. His various capers during his time with the RAF are the stuff of legend. He's an amazing character. Uh, speaking of amazing characters, we'll meet the team in a moment, but not before our regular word of thanks to all of you who've been supporting, subscribing and contacting us at Top Landing Gear with your comments and ideas. You're the amazing characters, not this rabble. Here they are anyway, starting with our pilot James Cartner, who hasn't done much flying recently. I did a one flight. Uh, Singer-songwriter, pop superstar from Scouting for Girls, Roy Stride, who hasn't been doing much pop starring recently. No. No, none, none at all, actually. You, you yeah. did say you were writing some songs. Yeah, Is that I'm something that some kind of girls fans I, should be excited about? I, they would be very excited. Yeah, mm. I've, got, I've got lots of stuff coming out. But I did aviation based. I had a flying lesson. Yes. You did yeah. in something strange. In Icarus C42, which is a, a microlight. But I think I'm going to go for my microlight license just because it's a lot cheaper. And I don't have a job at the moment, so <laughs> it's quite hard to justify becoming a pilot when it's not your job anyway. But when you don't have a job, it's quite hard to justify being a pilot. When you're, oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that that's my aviation. Oh, that's news, quite but I loved it. I te- I, you are, I WhatsApp you all the photos. Yeah, you did. Had the best it looked time. great. Yeah. It looked fantastic. Yep. Um, and we've also got our agricultural fencer, Jez Curling, who has been doing a lot of agricultural fencing recently. Have you, Jez? I have. It's, it's been the same for months. It's just the same old thing. It's like eat. Yeah. Um, money fence, coming repeat. in. Money, money, money. Well, yeah. <laughs> I and think everywhere's fenced by now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, but you know, they fall over occasionally. We have to hmm. do them again. Ah, that's clever. I see someone that's put an electric fence around a bar in a pub recently. Yes, it did. I thought it was a cracking idea. <laughs> he's, not, he's not letting on as to whether it's switched on or not. <laughs> so there's a sort of fear factor, which I quite like. Yeah. Very good. There we go. And, uh, and me, Rob Curling. And actually, actually, do you know I have? I've actually done some work for the first time in ages. Just proper TV work? Well, it depends what you mean by proper. It was low-budget tennis commentary. But, it, you know, it was on the BBC, good. hidden cool. away on their streaming services. Are you still a BBC presenter? Well, <laughs> I, it was on the BBC... You're not an ex-BBC presenter. So <laughs> have you written down at all, the, at all the blurb about... You'll have to change well, the change oh, yeah. Right now, I'm going to Wikipedia. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Temporary <laughs> reprieve. <laughs> yeah. No, it's lovely to be back. Anyway, there we are. So that's the four of us. Now, of course, we'll always have our regular features with Jez's quick facts all about the Hunter this week. Uh, the hugely popular and always closely contested top landing gear quiz as the team battle to score any points at all between them. Uh, this will be a mixture of hunter questions and audaciousness. But we'll start with your chance and ours to ask our expert, James, any question at all about the world of aviation. So let's get going with the questions that have been sent in this week for Ask James. Roy, can you cue in some sound effects of tumbleweed drifting across <laughs> a featureless <laughs> desert? I could do <laughs> an, an, an empty post bag. Too. What does an empty post bag sound like? <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. But Is that right? I had a question for James. I haven't taken my first flight since lockdown to Geneva. I was uh, going through Terminal 5, which was quite busy. Mm-hmm. I, sent, I actually put some pictures up on Top Landing Gear Instagram, did like a bit of a live thing, and it was, it was kind of busy. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking... As we're going to be getting back, people are going on holiday, people are 
getting back to the airports, if James says, what are your top tips? Top for tips. airports and flying in general yeah. for, for people just going on holiday. What? Right, okay. Well, there. I would say there are, there are three things that you'll need to take with you if you're yeah. going on a flight in the next few in the next month or so. One of them is a comfortable mask mm. because you'll be wearing your mask for quite a long time. Yeah, I had to wear <clears> the mask. It's when we got to Heathrow, as soon as you got in there, if you yeah. were over the age of 11, you have to wear the mask. Yeah. All the way through, all the way through the flight. So make sure you've got a, a mask that works and is comfortable. Yeah. Do they uh, provide them or are you expected no, no. to provide you, them? You, so can't, you, you can't go in the airport. So you what don't if have you one. arrive without a mask? You wouldn't be allowed in, I think. So there's they a, there's a business some. opportunity there to sit outside the Heathrow <laughs> yes. Airport with a box of masks. Top we say top landing gear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Let's do that instead of this. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> a lot easier. <laughs> so... Yes, we have a comfortable mask that's going to work and yeah. you can sit on a flight for however long your flight is because yeah. you're going to need it on. And certain masks need changing after a certain amount of time as well. So make sure yeah. you've got enough for the flight, particularly a long, long flight. Uh, the second is food. Take some food that you like yeah. because the, the normal services on aircraft are not going to be happening. Yeah. Um, some airlines are providing just a basic bag meal. Others are no longer just close the kitchens completely. Even on long haul? Uh, it, well, I think the long haul is, is a... Some Something. those that are doing long haul are just doing basically uh, what they don't what they don't want to do is have to have cabin crew heating up meals and then serving them individually to passengers. So even in in the uh, premium cabins, I believe it's fairly basic service throughout. So if you want particular foods, take it with you. Uh, and the last thing I'd say is take a sense of humour because it is going to be like if you've flown before, it's not going to be like that at all. Yeah. You're going to have to be very patient, uh, very forbearing with everything because it's all different. And everyone's in the same boat. And yeah, don't don't go there expecting to be treated like a prince or princess. Um, you're going to be you're on that flight to get to where you're going, and it's not going to be as fun experience as you may normally yeah. enjoy flying. So things like going through uh, customs and like the scans, the checks, yeah. are you all spaced out? It takes yeah. forever. Everything, everything is spaced out. But because it was quite quiet, uh, it, it was like the most, yeah. probably the most, the best experience I'd had. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Terminal Five is one of the best. Yeah, and people anyone. actually, the, what I have found is the security staff are actually quite, you know, jovial about it all. They're not, they're, 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 they're team on the side. We flew BA. They were, they were absolutely amazing. The staff were incredible. The way they got, they t it takes a bit longer to get on the plane because they mm. do it five rows at a time. But oh, okay. uh, it was. Yeah, it was really, really yeah. fun. There was no. I think we got a packet of crisps and some water. What, yeah. What's the lineup in the seats like? Is are the gaps between? No, no. There, was no there was no gaps, and also you, we still had to get a bus to the plane, oh, I like which that. is much more fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but uh, and that was probably usually they just put you in like sardines, yeah. and yeah. that was probably half as busy. Yeah, but it no. still wasn't. So they're doing what they can. Yeah, and and, and, and what, actually, aircraft. when you're on the aircraft, a lot of people say, "Oh, you're in a, you're in a tube with all these other people breathing." Yes, you've all got masks on, and also that the air is filtered quite quite yes, regularly. It's, it's yeah. actually quite amazing how often we have these HEPA filters on aircraft, which which take out all the bugs, including COVID. They, they yeah. are proved to take out yeah, yeah. COVID. Uh, so all the air is filtered. Yeah. It's recirculated, but it's filtered every sort of Gosh. 10, 15 minutes. The whole aircraft will be re, yeah, recirculated. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's one of the – it's almost as good as being outside. Surely. Yeah. So you, you could be sitting right next to a complete stranger? Yeah. yeah so you're yeah. not – there's no kind of bubble – no, no. Mm, gosh. I think I think with face masks now, it's you know, mm. it's it's fine. Yeah. I thought I, I felt completely safe. I thought very well looked after. Yeah. It was yeah, uh, it was good. a really, and I had other, a really uh, great uh, experience. Geneva as well. Same. Experience. Yeah, Geneva. It was it was brilliant. Get flying, yeah. everybody. Get flying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Oh, Roy, thanks for sending us in that well, question. Well, no, that's no problem. That's yeah, great. Well, that was anybody James, else wants to ask James a question? Um, Eileen Strong got in Ooh. touch. Oh, yeah. um, she sent a question last week about uh, all the noises you hear. She's just been on the flight as well. And said she was totally reassured by oh. all the weird noises after listening we to We provide a public service. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, James, I think you've I'm, also well, got I have your own question. question. It's not, it's Are you not, asking this of yourself? I'm not asking myself. No. I was asked it by a, uh, a friend's daughter recently, uh, Miss Hattie Lunt, and she asked, why don't aeroplanes have indicators? <laughs> <laughs> now, she did, she, she did justify this with a bit of, obviously in the sky there wouldn't be much use, uh, but surely around busy airports it would be a good idea to have indicators. <laughs> So I have to try and come with an answer to this. Yeah. Well, does she mean on the ground? Yeah, on the ground. So on, on the, the ground. So when you're all taxing around yeah. to know where all the aircraft That's are going. actually not such a bad idea. Well, you see, there is some sort of logic to it. Uh, I, my answer that I had to come up with quite quickly at the time, normally I have a chance to prepare these answers, uh, was that... We generally know where all the airplanes are going because you're listening out on air traffic control and they're all moving on taxiways uh, and you're expecting them to do things. You do sometimes flashlights at each other just to sort of yeah. say, I can see you or after you and, and those oh, sort of things. Have you, um, have you like four beams? <laughs> <laughs> Is that the way you do it? We have about six different lights we can turn on. There's a, one on the taxi wheel, there's ones on the wings, yeah. there's ones that go off to the sides so we can see where we're turning left and right, okay. coming off the runway. So you can flash all sorts of yeah. lights oh, and things just to sort of say, yeah, I can see you or thanks very much or anything. But uh, the actual, I don't think we need indicators for turning. As much. Well, How old is Hattie? 12? Hattie is um, 23. 20. <laughs> 20, 21. Oh, Sorry, Hattie. We're, that's very rude of us. James. But, no, it's good that she's um, yeah. she's writing in with a question. At least someone is. <laughs> yes, quite right. Because you do right. also, you your route on the ground is often marked out by the lighting on the taxi. Well, at certain airports, yes. We, we have what they call a progressive taxi uh, mm lighting so it, they just light up the route you go and as you go over it and they then change it for the next it's a bit like a railway line um but they change Have you ever the been in the position where you know when you're at a t-junction sometimes you're not quite sure who's well, to go first so you pull forward a bit he knows this someone go and then you sort of go no after you you, a bit sort of like, you go no i'll go no no sorry you go first you oh no i'll go okay sorry i have a couple of times when you, you come to places you go if we both go forward now we're both going to be stuck because obviously you can't reverse. So you, whenever you're approaching a junction and you appear to be going head to head, you always either say, does everyone know where he's going? Because he should be turning left. And if he hasn't turned left, you normally just wait and just to make sure that they, he or she does go. Um, and the other times when you're sometimes taxiing and you're taxiing next to someone else at a similar speed, and you know whoever gets thrown first will be off first. And if they're both going in the same direction you'll probably get 10 or 15 minutes ahead of them, um, especially if, if there's someone else trying to um, you, block up the traffic. The so you can do you, sometimes go a little bit faster <laughs> just to try and get ahead of you these little races down the parallel taxiways. So you sort of give them the bird through the window. <laughs> They're always waving, smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. Oh, that's fantastic. James, just a quick word on the retirement <clears throat> by BA of the 747 Jumbo Jet. I think everyone is devastated by that, but was it a total surprise? I don't think it was a total surprise. I think anyone could have probably seen it coming. Mm. Um, the big thing was that Boeing, about a year ago, started listing the amount of parts they were going to keep for the 74, so they weren't going to carry on making parts. So that was the initial death knell in the in the uh, in the 747 project, and obviously COVID 
It's it's one of the least economic long range aircraft. The most beautiful, probably that's yeah. still flying. Uh, but it, it it was it was always going to be an issue whether that would come back. British Airways this week have announced they're no longer going to fly, and they are the biggest operator of the seven four seven. There will still be seven four sevens flying around. <clears throat> Cargo. Uh, cargo ones. There are a few of the newer versions, eight hundred or the the seven four seven eights. Yeah, BA have some of those. No, they don't. No, oh, they they're, don't. They're just four hundreds. The uh, oh, BA have. So um, they will. You will st- still see them in the skies, but not as frequently, and unlikely to be a passenger on one. Mm. There are a few airlines which have had them, as sort of charter airlines, which have just kept them for. For bulk of passenger, but and the three eighty, the A three eighty is the same way. Well, the three eighty four eight engine jets, though A three forty, they're all going. The three forty is yeah. the four engine. Well, no, they they are on their their last. They were they the three thirty yeah. does the job of the three forty, yeah. uh, and with the, two the, engines with two and and the three forty was brought about because of needing four engines to go across the Atlantic or, or long haul. Since ETOPS came in, which is the rule that allows you to fly two engine aircraft. Uh, without um, uh, being able to to stop immediately, uh, the four engine jets just have always been battling it. And as I say the the three eighty they announced they were no longer producing three eighties earlier in the year. I think was it yeah, last well, year? Just or, a few weeks ago yeah. they stopped. How long they have they built been the last one? They've built the last Ten one. Ten years, twelve years, maybe. Ten years, yeah, probably That's ten years. Isn't it? It's amazing. A lot of being scrapped. Or um, so amazing. and it's just that it didn't it didn't find its niche, mm. uh, and that sort of mass. Um, Passenger traffic hasn't really. There are still a few routes where I think it's 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 it works. And as far as I know, British Airways are going to carry on flying theirs. Oh, they? They've got twelve. So as oh, far as I know, they're carrying on. I think Air France have announced they're going to start winding theirs down very soon. Um, um, Emirates have loads, but they've, yeah. they've they're only going to fly about half of theirs initially. It is a shame because it's a lovely aircraft to fly. Oh, it is. It's a joy to be on. Yeah. It's just yeah. beautiful. Yeah. As a pilot, obviously, the 777 is a better aircraft because you need to be a better pilot to fly it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make a note do of that. You, <laughs> do you think it's, it's almost like it's another backward step in the commercial aviation world, Concorde going mm. backward step, so, well, and now all these big four-engine aircraft... The, the problem being that, that I think it's almost a... A victory of design, if you like, that they found that the the most the best way to fly people around is in wide-bodied two-engine aircraft, which all look the same, mm. and that's where we are. Um, whether they have pointier noses or slightly curlier wings, <laughs> they're still twin jets, uh, mm. and twin jets for now yeah. are the future. The, right. the good news coming out, I think there's a supersonic business jet which is a, has been announced recently. So that all um, John Hutchinson was talking yeah, about. Yeah, so that's looking uh, like that is is got is going to come to fruition mm. within the next couple of years, and it looks very similar to an old supersonic aircraft that used to fly around uh, these parts quite a lot. Concorde. That's the one. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> very similar design, yeah, a bit smaller. It's Americans. Well, look, I suppose we should get on to our kind of subject area for for this one, which is mm. audaciousness. Mm-hmm. Um. We've also been asking for suggestions for audaciousness as well as questions for James. We've had a bit more success yes, with our audaciousness. Yeah. We've had one email, <laughs> uh, which has come from Bob. It was a lovely email. It was a lovely email. Thank you for this yeah. if you're listening. He said he thoroughly enjoyed our podcast featuring Dave Thomas, James's friend yeah. who mm-hmm. was in the Red Arrows. Um, what an amusing and modest man he is. Uh, this is uh, Dave, not you. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> 
And so he goes on, regarding your request for examples of hair-raising flying, uh, how about the scene from the Blue Max movie where Derek Piggott flew a Fokker triplane through a very narrow span bridge? Apparently, the film director kept telling him to repeat the scene. They always do. And he ended up <laughs> flying through the narrow arch of the bridge no fewer than 18 times before the guy was satisfied. Apparently, Derek said there were just four feet clearance on either side of the wingtips under that arch. He was also legendary as a pilot in those those magnificent men, Battle of Britain, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Red Baron, Villa Rides, and so on, and many more. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that sort of film yeah. stunt flying. There was, was, was it Ray Hanna did um, the Spitfire under the bridge for a piece of cake, I think. That's yes. one quiz question that's yeah. gone. Oh. <laughs> that's a shame. That's a shame. <laughs> Even worse that you've ripped yeah. up your but, script. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was I the actually wrong piece as well. Do you want to borrow mine? That's all right. We'll, we'll get through it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I might ask you to name the bridge, actually. We could Ooh, still bring okay. that question yeah, to yeah, just... yeah, where it was. But you're absolutely so right. So I've also <laughs> kind of scuffed one of his questions. I'm not going to say which one, <laughs> because I might still answer it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So if we carry on this, we could be no quiz by the end of the whole show. <laughs> There'll always be a quiz. Yeah. Um, and also, Vicky Ingle has also been in touch about Gladys Ingle, no relation, uh, who is the only female member of the Black Cats. It sounds like one of your display teams, James, that you keep on They're a wing-walking team in the 1920s. Roy's just taking a picture of my ripped scripts. <laughs> um, they did loads of Hollywood stunts. And there is some incredible footage. I was looking at it earlier, actually, of her on YouTube, of walking out on the wing of a Curtis Jenny biplane midair, then climbing onto another aeroplane, which has only got one of its main wheels, uh, with a spare wheel strapped to her back. And she then fits the spare wheel to the axle of this second aeroplane, all in midair, before clambering back to stand beside the pilot as they fly into her into land with her still standing. No safety harness, nothing. I saw, I saw, that. I saw that this week. Yeah, I, that, that I saw it last really. week. And it was... Because yeah. it was bonkers. There was... Because obviously, I assume it was a bit of a setup in that it, they had lots of, lots camera, of cameras, lots of cameras to film about, it, yeah, on, on lots of aircraft around it to film it. But there was obviously no safety equipment no. at all. She didn't even clip herself on no. from between one aircraft and the other, which would be, I think, acceptable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she just jumps. It's um, extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It's worth looking on YouTube. We, we're going to put links to all these on all our social media channels. There was another Gladys as well, Gladys Roy. Uh, it's a very famous picture that I think many people will know because it may have even been a postcard or something of her playing tennis yeah. mm. on top, yes. of, again, of a, well, Curtis Jenny on, on the top wing of the pub. They'd stretched a, a sort of little net across mm. the yeah, top. Seen I'm sure, I don't know why under the You board. could have commentated on that. <laughs> <laughs> You're the best damn yeah. master. Yeah. If you didn't get that gig. <laughs> he's he's old enough. <laughs> Oh, that would have been fun. That would have been great. Oh, I love it. Well, so those are just a couple. I mean, there are so many of these things. Who else has got yeah. any uh, audacious um, stunts? Well, mine, I, I had a look, and there are a couple that, that tickled my boat. Um, one is... Your boat? I don't know. That floated my... Floated your boat. Tickled your, your fancy. fancy. Yeah. Floated my fancy. One of them floated my fancy. <laughs> and that... Um, no, the couple. One was the Jaguar low-level flying in Thumrat in Oman, and there was a... The Omanis bought Jaguars, and I think the RAF went out to, to teach them how to fly them. And so there was a mixture of Omani and, and RAF pilots flying these Jaguars. And I don't think in the Omani airport, uh, in the Omani Air Force, there was any rules about how low you could fly. 
And so there'll be a flight line of Jaguars sitting on, parked up on their wheels and some bloke standing in front of them. And all of a sudden from the video, you'll see another Jaguar flying along lower than the ones that are on wheels. No. Wow. Absolutely Come no. Um, so and that, that was a sort of fairly legendary, and I think there's a lot of videos. Again, we'll, we'll try and put links to those out on, on the Like the VC10 at White Waltham, which you mentioned in a previous very, yes, podcast. Yeah. Very similar. Um, but I didn't go for that one. The one I've gone for oh. is um, <laughs> a, a the fly past at 97 initial officer training uh, cadet entry at Royal Air Force Cranwell. And it's, does it involve you, manager? It doesn't involve me, thank goodness. <laughs> right. uh, it's a good, it's a good ten years before I joined the air force, right. I think. Um, but so there were two phantoms, and again, the video is available, and I'll put a link to it. Yeah. Uh, if you watch the video, and I've spoken to people that were there, two phantoms did a fly pass, and the first one they do from left to right over the top. They're probably about 150 feet, which is a phantom is pretty loud and pretty big and pretty noisy. At exactly the right time, they do the fly pass. It's, it's brilliant. And then you hear the phantoms sort of disappearing, but then the noise stays stays there. I think this is a bit odd. Um, but and on the video, you can hear people start to shout um, the marching orders to march the, the cadets into the college hall. Or when you go through the doors of college hall, you, you, you finally graduated. So there's a little bit of, of marching. And then the, the phantoms come over again, a little bit lower, probably about 125 feet. Uh, everything starts to shake. <laughs> and you think, Jesus Christ. <laughs> then the cadets then start their march off but you can still hear the noise of the phantoms they haven't gone away <laughs> and then you see one coming back at about 100 feet <laughs> and you think I mean hell this is low but what you don't that's the number two you don't see the leader until about five seconds later when he appears over the roof of a building and I think they've estimated the height was 72 feet wow uh, he's on full burner and he slightly dips as he comes in. And to correct for that, he then pulls up on burner and flies away from the uh, the parade. The dais that the yes. uh, the officer was standing on, the, the um, reviewing officer was standing on, he was a senior air, air vice marshal, <laughs> apparently lifted off the ground. <laughs> with, <laughs> him <on laughs> <the time. laughs> with him on it. No! Oh, so the next clip of the video, you can see the cadets marching off about... 25% of them have lost their hats. <laughs> there are flagpoles all over the place. Apparently, for those that there, they just say that the, there was a sea of grit that just came up from the parade ground and covered everyone in grit. And you can see all the, the, the sergeant majors running the parade just picking up hats and flagpoles and everything. It is to, again, have a look at the video because it, it, it is one of the most... Old. Anyway, so what happened after that... The reviewing officer storms inside and makes a phone call. Before he's landed, the Phantom pilot has been posted off the Phantom and given a given a punishment posting. Uh, The punishment posting was to run the low-level and air defence flying school for the navigators at (laughs) (laughs) Philadelphia. So it was it was quite a strange punishment posting. But uh, that's so we'll put the video up, and it's it's certainly yeah. Roy, what have you chosen? Okay, so my my audacious uh, story, uh, I believe is... I, I'm going to see if you can guess it, first of all. I'm going to say, I think... Is it the Cessna 172? No. <laughs> is it Icarus it, flying too close to the sun? <laughs> <laughs> With you. It is one of the cockiest oh. aviation feats ever attempted. Oh, yes. The aircraft in question only had to fly 60 metres. 
And it never even flew. Oh, yes. No, Anyone know? Don't see you. Was it um, Hughes? Howard Hughes's Bruce Goose? Nope. No? Oh, nice try. Ooh. I think I did get airborne. Is it, is it a clue in one of the cockiest aviation Ooh. feet? Is my my <laughs> audacious aviation <laughs> feet is the Colditz cock. Oh, ah, the guy trying to the, get out of the cold. The glider. Which oh, was the, the glider. glider. Yes. A glider constructed yes. in complete secrecy. Amazing. By British prisoners of war being held in Offlag 4C, which was Colditz Castle in Germany. The idea for the glider came from Lieutenant Tony Rolt. He noticed that the chapel roof line was completely obscured by the German view. Uh, he realised the roof would make a perfect launching point from which a glider could fly across the River Mould, which was about 60 metres below. The team was headed by... Bill Goldfinch and Jack Best after they found in the prison library a book called <laughs> Aircraft Design, <laughs> which was a two-volume work by C.H. Latimer Needham, which explained the necessary physics and engineering included a detailed diagram of a wing section. They built this glider over the winter of 1944, those two with 12 others, uh, and they put a runway which was built with tables in the top of this chapel, 60-foot runway and it was going to be launched with a pulley system which was based on a falling metal bathtub <laughs> full of concrete <laughs> using a gravity incredible. assisted acceleration to brilliant. 30 miles an hour now the glider was a lightweight two-seater high wing monoplane design there's only one photo in existence of this which was taken by an american when they liberated uh colditz uh, wingspan was 32 foot. It was nine foot, nine inch nose to tower. And why did it not fly? Well, uh, after the murder of 50 prisoners, prisoners of war in March 1944 uh, by the SS, which was obviously the great escape, mm. Allied High Command had begun to discourage all escape attempts, especially as it looked like the war was going to be won. Mm. However, the coldest prisoners were ignoring this and they had scheduled a takeoff the spring of 1945, which was going to go in during an air raid, because obviously there'd be a blackout then, mm -hmm. there'd be the sound of bombs to cover up the, <laughs> cover up the, 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 the bath full of the concrete. concrete. <laughs> <laughs> which is my favourite bit of the whole thing. Uh, uh, and even though the, the war's outcome was becoming certain, the British escapers often decided that the glider should be available for use in case the SS ordered another massacre of prisoners as a way to get the message out to approaching American troops. So the glider was almost ready uh, when the American army liberated Colditz on the 16th of April, 1945. Oh, so it never, never got finished. Never, but oh, in 1999, a full-sized replica uh, of the Colditz well, glider watching this, yes. Yes. was commissioned by Channel 4. Are you reading my notes? Yeah, <laughs> I remember it. It was and, brilliant. And was test flown successfully in 2000 by John Lee at RF Oldham with Best and Goldfinch there. The guys who conceived of the whole plan with another 12 other veterans who were in Colditz at that time. Uh, they were watching proudly on as uh, the, the glider flew. Did they yeah. use a bath to launch it? No, they didn't use it. It was there, but that uh, oh, that should've. replica yeah. is now housed at the Norfolk and Suffolk Aviation Museum. It looks amazing, actually. Which have to go there, uh, and that documentary is on YouTube. That full documentary. Oh, yeah. so, I remember that was a Channel Four mm, thing. I, think. I, I do remember it. Yes, there's a load of things like the dam buses, thing, didn't they? Yes. Like, oh, um, so, but top tips to sort of prison warders. Don't have books on how to build gliders <laughs> no. in your prison library. <laughs> but that, that was my, <laughs> my audacious oh, aviation feat. Oh, oh, I, love yeah. I, love I love that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So, Jess, what's your audacious aviation 
story? Oh, I, I had three that uh, sprang to mind. One was um, The Flight of the Phoenix, which I did actually have to check was actually true, which is the cargo plane that crashed uh, in the desert mm. and they basically rebuilt and, and, and managed to fly out. The film, The Flight of the Phoenix, is, is, is a great film. I'm not sure how true to the actual actuality it is. So I discounted that because I didn't have time to do a lot of research on it. The other one that sprang to mind immediately was Matthias Rust landing his Cessna in Red Square. 172. In 19... yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In, 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 uh, in 1987, I think it was. So what did he do there? Did well, he... He, he flew from Germany to um, the Shetland Islands yeah. uh, and then looped back through to the Faroe Islands and then went back into Norway, I think, and then said he was going to fly down to Denmark or something. That might be not quite right. But actually what he decided, he'd already planned this, I think. What he actually then did was just flew straight to Moscow. <laughs> and it's an extraordinary story. This landing, is not even my story. Yeah. Land in Red Square. Land in Red Square. Uh, uh, he from Finland, I think. Uh, Finland, Finland. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right, where he started. But he went off, you know, up yeah. into the Shetland Islands and back, and he did quite a trip. And he, you know, he told his his parents. He was only nineteen. This guy, that um, he was going to do this sort of huge trip, but had already decided that to sort of make a statement about peace that he was going to um, uh, fly to Red Square. But he was, you know, in two minds really is whether to do it or not because he was. Obviously, he, was, he, he calculated he had a fifty percent chance of being killed. Um, and in fact, as he went, flew into Russian airspace, now Russian airspace is the biggest air borders I think mm -hmm. in the world. So mm -hmm. you know, they've got a lot of airspace to cover. Um, Two uh, Russian fighters intercepted him, flew alongside him and waved to him and unbelievably just let him carry on. No. And there was something to do with there'd been an air crash the day before and there'd been some confusion within the Russian um, air ministry and, and, and all sorts of things. But he basically made it all the way to Moscow, looked to wanted to land in Red Square, but couldn't because there were so many people around, found a bridge to land on. Oh. And the bridge, he only managed to land on the bridge. Normally there's bollards on this bridge, they some sort of, Sort of bollard things, they'd be removed for painting or maintenance or something. He managed to land this bridge and he taxied off this bridge and into Red Square. <laughs> extraordinary. Where he was then, I may just do this as my thing actually. It's just a story. <laughs> where, where he was, um, where he was then sort of hounded and mobbed by these people and yeah. said, I'm, I'm from Germany. And oh, yeah, it's another comrade going to No, I'm from West Germany. <laughs> uh, and um, actually, he, um, he, he, he went to prison for He went to prison. He was sentenced for four years uh, for adventurism. Uh, or something. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, uh, this is June. This is you know just coming towards the end of the Cold War. So Gorbachev was in power, and um, he, he served a year uh, in in a Russian in a Russian prison. But Gorbachev, uh, it was quite handy for Gorbachev because he wanted to get rid of a load of his military commanders and managed to through this sack 150 of them. <laughs> uh, you know, in, in, in the, in the following months, you know, over their their blatant failure to intercept a Cessna it's as it landed in, in everyone loves yeah. a Cessna. Yeah, everyone loves yeah. a Cessna. Yeah. But that's not my audacious. My actual uh, audacious, and it's as much daring do and bravery as audaciousness. Mm. Is uh, I'll set the scene. It's Falkland Islands, uh, South Georgia, a Falkland Islands, um, sort of 400 miles to the east of the Falklands, uh, 1982. Uh, had been invaded by uh, a small contingent of Argentinian troops. Obviously, um, the, the Falklands were invaded a few days before, but uh, Thatcher then decided to send a task force down, which we all know about very famously. You know, we, retook, we retook South Georgia and, and the Falklands. But uh, part of um, the, the retaking of South Georgia was that the SAS, who were, were embedded or embarked upon HMS Antrim, uh, had decided that they wanted to put ashore to do a recce 
uh, of, of Stromness Bay, where there was a, 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 um, a garrison, a small garrison of Argentinian troops. And there's a whole backstory to this, which I won't go into now, but it's fascinating. And in fact, some of this, uh, I'm, I'm reading a book um, called Across an Angry Sea, which is by uh, the SAS commander. I didn't know well, you could read. <laughs> it's actually an audio book. <laughs> but I just thought I'd say read. Well, but it's tough, By a guy called Cedric Del- Delves, who uh, also tells a story on one of, uh, on a history hit uh, podcast, yeah. which is great. Anyway, not to promote any somebody else's podcast. Um so, so he decides that they want to be put ashore onto South Georgia, but they don't want to make them to do a recce to see what they can find out before they put them sort of main landing force on. And against all advice from uh, uh, naval personnel and from HMS Endurance, who is tasked there as well as part of this small task group, he decides he wants to be put down on what's called the Fortuna Glacier. The only way they can get onto this is by, hel- by helicopter. Um, and... Uh, Three Wessexes uh, carry out this mission to put the troops abroad. There's two Wessex Fives from, a, a, from HMS Springtide and the Wessex Three, which is an anti-submarine warfare uh, Wessex. Um, which isn't built for carrying troops. Basically. Which isn't built for carrying oh. troops. So the yeah. other two were, 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 were what they called utilities. Yeah. Is that right? Utility helicopters. Well, we must remind our dear listener. What's his name? Uh, then, of course, Bob. James is a former. That Wessex was my first pilot. steed in the RAF. Yes. I was, I was quite, Wessex. I was quite cognizant of the fact that you may pull me up on every fact. Yes. No, I'm yeah. not here. Only on the fact you can read. To be fair, <laughs> well, yeah, well, or listen. In fact, no, I know. Anyway, so 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 um, because of the way the navigational stuff worked on on the Wessexes, West Humphrey, I. West, the West Eye. <laughs> Uh, uh, Humphrey had to lead these other two Wessexes in to place the troops Humphrey. because Humphrey was the Wessex Three's nickname. I should have, I should have mentioned that. It, became, mm. it was famously known. And this is a story, a legend. Uh, they put the troops down through the most appalling weather and, and a storm of biblical proportions was on its way up from the, uh, from the Antarctic. They got these uh, SAS D Squadron mountain troop troops onto the glacier, helicopters after three or four attempts of getting up there. Uh, helicopters went back to their to their relative relevant ships, and the troops deployed and started to make their way across the glacier. Darkness fell. They put their tents up or whatever else to do in hundred mile an hour winds. By the morning, all their kits disappeared across the glacier, and they they asked to be Kazivat uh, almost effectively. You know that they're, they're in pieces. These guys and this is this is the SAS. You know. So this is where the audacious flying really starts, is that um, the the pilot uh, of uh, Humphrey, the Wessex Three, a guy called Ian Stanley, uh, who became, a, again, a sort of legendary figure, really, a uh, uh, naval air squadron guy, goes up to recce the glacier through the most appalling conditions. He's losing his mm. tail rotor. He can't keep the thing, can't get up there, goes back. Overall, and to cut this a little bit short, he does nine sorties. Uh, the last three, uh, the, the first of the last three, he finally gets to take the two other Wessex fives behind him up onto the glacier through the most appalling conditions. They put down, it's about 1.30 in the afternoon, 22nd of April, I think it is now, 1982. They get all the troops onto the three helicopters and they hover taxi towards the edge of the glacier where a white tech comes in. Oh my god! The first Wessex, again with no navigational aids, mm. basically the pilot loses all situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, 
That was most of my time on the Wessex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, 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 loses, he loses all situational awareness. And, and as, as, um, as was sort of quoted in the book, um, his senses are saying one thing, his instruments are saying another, mm. and his instincts are saying something else entirely. What happens is his, his altimeter unspools, the helicopter hits, hits the deck, rolls over, bits of rotor fly all over the place, one helicopter crashes in a whiteout, um, Cedric Delves is on Humphrey, but standing between the two pilots. Goes, oh my god, we've lost a helicopter. The, 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 a brief pause in, the, if you like, in the in the snowstorm reveals these other two helicopters in the hover at this point that the helicopter is down, but no injuries, unbelievably minor injuries. Mm-hmm. So everybody bails out of the crashed helicopter. That was the beauty of the Wessex. It was built like a tank. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It clearly mm. it needed to be in this mm-hmm. situation. The troops disembark from from uh, the, the the downed Wessex, get onto the Wessex three Humphrey, which is now already overloaded, mm-hmm. and onto the other Wessex five. Humphrey then takes off again, and they hover taxi towards the end of the glacier. At which point, the second Wessex is lost into a whiteout. Pilot loses situation in the Rennes, hits a ridge, <sighs> helicopter crashes, falls on its side, bits of rotor all over the place, <sighs> and now they've lost two helicopters out of the out of the three they had. Humphrey's still able to uh, operate. It has better instrumentation, I believe. Right. It had a observer, mm-hmm. a guy called Chris Perry, who I'll talk to you about in a minute. So by this stage now, um, there are now uh, too many troops on one helicopter and uh, two helicopters down. He flies, Ian Stanley flies back to HMS Antrim, gets these guys off, comes back to pick up basically 17 more troops in an aircraft that shouldn't carry any four. <laughs> he gets up back. He, he, he has to go back. He flies up to 3,000 feet. This glass is 2,000 feet. He flies up to 3,000 feet. He looks down to see if he can find the wreckage of these two heads. Amazingly, a, a break in the clouds. He, he, he lands, and, and instantly they spot these two crashed helicopters. The glass is, I've looked on Google Earth. This glass is massive. Mm. Um, they land. They get all 17 troops on board. <laughs> he tells them to leave all their kit. They just bring their rifles. Yeah. There's now 22 people on board this helicopter. And it's not a big helicopter. They're literally hanging out the side. This thing is overloaded now by over 2,000 pounds. Now, I don't know how, how that compares, James. That's that, a lot. I mean, you're, you're bending stuff at this point. Yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't be flying. It shouldn't be flying anyway because of the weather conditions. Yeah. So Stanley knows that he's going to struggle to get off the ground, but he waits for the strongest gust of wind he can find, which basically lifts him off. Oh, God. And all he can do, he knows now he can't hover. Mm. All he can do is fly on the straightest line he can back to Antrim. Bear in mind, this thing is moving up, the deck of this thing is moving up and down by tens of metres. Mm. Not to teach you to suck eggs, but a helicopter normally comes in from a stern mm-hmm. and then hovers sideways, yeah. slides so sideways onto the So you use the speed deck. of the ship moving yeah. to give you extra airspeed. He couldn't do this. Oh my There's God. no way he could not hover. He was so overloaded. This thing was barely... And, and these Wessex 3s were renowned for engine failures as well, <laughs> apparently. So this thing is overloaded. Uh, I, I mean, it, it shouldn't be in the air. He's got one chance to land this helicopter. So what he does, instead of coming from the stern hovering and t- uh, sliding across and landing, mm. he comes in from the uh, port side, I believe. The beam, it's called. The beam. Thank you. And, and he knows all he can do is come in sideways across the ship and just a running landing, yeah. a running landing. Which mm. if he gets wrong, he'll be straight over the edge mm. of the ship with all, all himself and all these troops. He has to judge it with the with the rise and fall of the um, 
rise and fall of the ship as well. Yes, and what happens basically is, according to, to, to what I've listened to and read, is that he comes in, this thing is struggling, he judges it absolutely perfectly, slams it onto the deck, all the, and he's done it. He's made it back onto the, onto the ship with, with, with minimal actual drama, no injuries, no uh, loss of life, uh, and no damage to the helicopter. It's the most that incredible piece of flying. That is a podcast on its own. Yeah. It is absolutely incredible. I've read so much about it now, and, and you know, having listened to this book, which you which you have to listen to. Can I just ask James? That's brilliantly yeah. told. Mm. Um, yeah. Do you you can't train for those sort of eventualities, can you, or can you? I mean, no. I mean, how would you have known about you know not being able to hover and well, waiting we, for a gust of wind? I mean, just know, extraordinary stuff. With flying helicopter, one one of the things that you know is that forward speed gives you extra lift. Hovering takes more power than moving forward at about 30 or 40 knots uh, because of a number of reasons. But one of the things is called induced flow. So if you actually have flow through the rotor disc, it gives you more power. So if you have a single engine failure, for example, during all your training, you're taught to do running landings, which give you the, the, the chance to go over. You can't necessarily bring the aircraft to a hover, but you can do a running landing and running takeoff. Um, so you know about that. But a lot of it is just through experience, knowing what you can get away with, mm. uh, learning on the on the job, really. Wow. So it's uh, it was it was obviously very good use of his of his skills that he picked up to that mm. point. He 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 and his crew thought they had a pretty high chance of not coming back. Mm. And Chris Perry, who I'll come back to in a second, uh, had written a, re- a letter to his wife, put his wedding ring in the envelope with a letter because he, he thought there was a high chance they were not going to make. It was so dangerous they weren't going to make it back out mm. of this. And he knew again. Uh, from what I've read, that as you get back down towards the ship, the air is warmer and you get less lift. Mm-hmm. So even, you know, one thing, getting off this glacier with, with sort of thicker air, mm. but but less lift with the thinner air, I think, he was even less confident that he was going to make it back mm. to the ship without ditching straight into the sea. It was incredible. Mm. But I must just say, so 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 not only did Humphrey, uh, this this Wessex, became, which is now on display in uh, uh, R.E. Uh, Yeovilton, Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, with its bullet holes in, which I'll explain <laughs> to you about in a minute. A few days later, um, uh, the Argentinian submarine, the Santa Fe, was trying to leave uh, South Georgia. Um, the, the Royal Navy picked up on this and decided they were going to depth charge it. Uh, Wessex, uh, the Wessex, Humphrey, the, the Wessex 3, was sent as the first aircraft to locate and destroy this uh, mm. submarine. And this guy, Chris Parry, who was the observer on the, the Wessex, uh, fired the first shots, effectively, in the Falklands War by depth charging uh, the submarine. It's the first time a helicopter had depth charged a submarine ever and the first time a British crew of any description had, had attacked a submarine since the end of the Second World War. Hmm. More bizarrely still is when I read this, I thought, this is a very familiar story. <laughs> I'm sure I know something about this. And I was racking my brains. I think I've met this guy, Chris. <laughs> I'm sure he told. I'm sure I met somebody who told me he was fired the first shots. And the one I asked Rob about this yeah. said, "Yeah, he said, no, I don't remember." And it came to me. This guy was married to a woman called Alison, whose father is Rob's godfather. Really? <laughs> and I'd met. He came to our house. This guy, Chris Parry, probably the year or two after the. Was Falkland he looking War. shaken? Yeah. <laughs> well, I seem to remember him being rather, you know, quite confident, confident about mm. it. Uh, mm. And he became a rear admiral, as mm-hmm. it turns out. Yeah. And he told me, 
I was 15 mm. at the time. He told me, oh, yeah, I... F- this was a long time ago then. I fired the... F- <laughs> nice name too. <laughs> I fired the first shots of the Falcons Wall. So having, by accident, picked on this story, Isn't I've it? now realised I actually know one of the key oh, characters nice. in it. No, nice. Met. Isn't that amazing? It's absolutely so, awesome. So what a, what a, what a uh, turn up for the books. But it's a, a brilliant story. It's an amazing... Uh, unsurprisingly, uh, Stanley got the DSO for his, mm-hmm. his troubles and, um, and no, nobody lost their lives. So there we go. That, that yeah. was a bit longer than I intended to be. But, oh, uh, that's super. Uh, uh, it's a great story. Great story. Oh, hats off to those guys. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, for audacious flying, there are, there are lots of really heroic things in the Second World War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the one that I think a lot of people know about is the guy who, in his hurricane over London, rammed uh, a Dornier the mm. 17 because he'd run out of, run out of bullets. bullets. Yeah. Um, and he knew that Dornier was heading for Buckingham Palace. Mm. Drop its bombs there. And so all he did, he just turned round, headed for it, sort of head first, but from on top. The, the tail set up on a Dornier looks pretty flimsy. That's what he thought. He said, well, I'll just snap the tail off by hitting it. Well, he did hit it and it did snap off, but it was incredibly hard and wrecked his hurricane. Mm-hmm. So he bailed out. But in the meantime, the Dornier just went straight down. The wings came off and it Jeez. went straight down and crashed on the forecourt of Victoria Station. Nobody was killed. Wow. Eventually, some of the German aircrew did perish, but no one was killed on the ground. And uh, the pilot, whose name was Sergeant Ray Holmes, uh, survived, and he was he was carried off because he had a parachute mm-hmm. yeah, back down. Yeah. He was carried off uh, into the sunset as a hero. Wow. But, I mean, those kind of stories, how do you, in, in your head, think, I'm just going to ram this? Mm. It's, it's extraordinary. It, a hurricane, which is essentially just made of wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Wooden canvas, yeah. yeah. But there are, I mean, we we could go on all night talking about these yeah. extraordinary yeah. feats of, yeah. of, as you say, daring do. They are phenomenal. Absolutely. Phenomenal. Fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. There's a book there somewhere. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> right. I wonder then, shall we perhaps, Jez, uh, move on to our subject of Alan Pollock and his ad- audacious Tower Bridge flight, which was made in the wonderful Hawker Hunter. Gerard, how about some Hunter quick facts? Well, as usual, lads, these aren't very quick, but hopefully they are facts. <laughs> so here we go. The Hawker Hunter was developed during the late 1940s and early 1950s, and the Hunter is a transonic aircraft, uh, and its story is really one of numerous trials and developments. In fact, 81 uh, variants of a total of 1,972 of Sydney Cam's design were built. That's a lot of variants. It's a huge amount. 81 variants. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I, I researched this a little bit on the BAE Systems website, so I'm mm. fairly confident of my <laughs> of my for once of my of my fact. Uh, they're built under license um, by uh, Armstrong Whitworth in Coventry and also by Hawker at Kingston upon Thames and in Blackburn. Uh, on the seventh of September, nineteen fifty-three, the first and only Mark III Hunter. This is maybe why there are so many variants. <laughs> um, broke the world airspeed record for a jet-powered aircraft, achieving seven hundred and twenty-seven point six three miles an hour in a flight over Littlehampton. Uh, the aircraft was flown by the legendary Neville Duke. Mm. Um, with the RAF, the Hunter entered service as a fighter and later a fighter-bomber. The uh, two-seat trainers were also used by the RAF and Royal Navy. Uh, the Hunter had a wingspan of 33 feet 8 inches with a maximum speed of 0.94 uh, Mach or 715 miles an hour. Uh, it had a combat range of 385 nautical miles. Uh, in the majority of variants, the aircraft was powered by a single Rolls-Royce Avon Avon turbid. The Mark 6F was the most numerous variant with 384 built in its interceptor fighter roll carrying four 30mm Aden, uh, Aden cannons 
uh, and the wings had four hard points on, which could carry, amongst others, four air-to-air missiles or four thousand pounds bombs. It was a very versatile aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, especially with its 81 variants. Uh, RAF hunters uh, stationed in Aden actually saw a fair amount of uh, combat um, and an insurgency which is in progress in Aden in 62 and 63 and supported by Egypt. Uh, the hunters dropped leaflets, bombed insurgent installations and provided air cover for British Special Air Service commandos on raids into insurgent territories. The insurgency faded out in 1964 and actually the hunter didn't actually see that much active combat service. It was uh, widely exported to at least another 21 other countries. Uh, and the Hunter F-6 uh, variant, which again, as I say, was the most common, was a display aircraft of the RAF's Blue Diamonds, who flew 16 aircraft, and the Black Arrows, who once famously looped a record-breaking 22 aircraft in formation. Uh, and hundreds of examples of the Hawk Hunter are still flying. Yes, thank yeah. goodness, because it is a beautiful aircraft. It's, a, it's regarded, really, as the... The jet version of the Spitfire, isn't it, in many ways, because of its beauty. And mm. actually, because in many ways, it filled similar similar roles. And I, I think also it flies beautifully as well, yeah. by all accounts. It, it, we were talking to um, Mr Pollock, yes, as we'll get on to later, and it, we were comparing, he was talking about, because <clears throat> he's flown everything. Yeah. Um, he was very lucky. But he, he had flown the Hunter and the Supermarine Swift, which looks beautiful, similar to a Hunter. And he just said that the hunter flies beautifully, and the Supreme Swift was a pig. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it, yeah, I think all all the pilots that flew the hunter loved how it flew. Well, it was still in service up till <coughs> 2014 with um, Swift, Lebanese, 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 oh, really? Lebanese. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, it only finished, you know, service in the RAF and the Royal Navy as a trainer, I think, in, mm. in the uh, 1990s. Mm. Um, the Swiss had a load of them, didn't they? Yeah, the Swiss yes, had loads. They used yeah. them for their aerobatic displays, mm. I think. Yeah. It was replaced by the uh, Lightning, English Electric Lightning, the Harrier, and the Phantom F4. Mm. So it had quite a uh, sort of, it was a predecessor to quite illustrious aircraft. Itself. Yeah. Oh, it was a beauty. Mm. Absolutely beautiful yeah. aircraft. Yeah. Well, so then to our special guest. Thanks for that, Jess. Um, Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock, who in April 1968 flew his RAF Hawker Hunter through Tower Bridge. I'll just give you a little bit of background to this, because at the time, Harold Wilson's Labour government had denied the RAF the opportunity to mark its 50th anniversary with a fly-past. All they were allowed to do was to have a few celebration dinners. It was also a time when huge defence cuts were being implemented, including the cancellation of projects such as the TSR2, much if not all in response to the Duncan Sands White Paper of 1957, which wrongly foresaw missiles replacing fighter aircraft. So this resulted in the closure of many famous RAF airfields and inevitably morale in Britain's armed forces was at an all-time low. So one man thought he'd let the government and the world know about this. And so Flight Lieutenant Alan Pollock of Number 1 Squadron, the RAF's senior squadron, decided to hijack his own Hawker Hunter and fly it low and loud in protest over the Houses of Parliament, which he did. The Tower Bridge episode, which is what made the headlines, was only the end result of his antics as he nipped off down the Thames to get out of London as quickly as he could. Well, James and I had the huge privilege of meeting Alan in his Surrey garden on a warm summer's day during lockdown to hear his incredible story.
And you were aiming for the Houses of Parliament? Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, sod it then, um, I'll wake the buggers up. And <laughs> I, because uh, also I had to turn tightly. Because I didn't want to go near Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. I mean, you probably know, I mean, anything to do with the Queen is always a purple airway. And yeah. I could vaguely see where that was. Yeah. But, um, but I thought over the Palace of Westminster, I thought that was where to make the noise. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I was trying to look down and see where... Uh, Downing Street was but yeah. found, found that not that's very hard to find we used to fly over London really the, um, seriously we used to fly over London helicopters a lot we used to do the heli lanes up and really? down the river yeah and isn't that I remember always trying to look for 10 Downing Street and it's next to impossible to find it, yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't stand out from the air maybe on purpose it yeah. doesn't stand out from the air at all it's, uh, mm. it's quite hard so you decided to orbit circle overhead yeah I, I think yeah, it the just Parliament, probably t- probably twice I don't think yeah maybe anymore but you obviously yeah. had to put all your power on mm-hmm. then to do a tight tight thing round so I thought that'll wake them up <laughs> uh, in it was really to you know let Parliament know I think is in many ways and I think they did get the message because two MPs actually straight away made statements in my defense yeah. you know mm-hmm. it was interesting really. Now, rumour has it that at the time of the that you did this, they were discussing aircraft noise. That's right. In, yeah, it's strange, wasn't it? Strange coincidence. <laughs> aircraft noise. <laughs> so you did your three orbits, and that was it. That was that was your plan, mm. and you kind of achieved it. And thought you'd now get out of London by flying easterly down the down the river. Yes. So you head off now down the Thames. Yes, and was it, it was it was magical, really, because mm. I mean it was entrancing in many ways, um, crossing the various bridges and what have you and swinging round the, you know, because of the turns and what have you. Yeah. You dipped your wing, didn't you, at the RAF? Oh, well, it was just almost by accident, you know, there because it was so close and um, it was quite a magical experience, you know. Well, yeah. you, you've flown the choppers yeah. there and yes. you, you know it's... It's still, I, I fly over it now and... In, really um, good. In, in passenger aircraft. And it's, I still love flying over London. Mm. It's, there's still something amazing about flying right mm. over the middle of London. Mm. Yeah, uh, really Albeit good. a little bit higher than you were, but uh, <laughs> yeah. no. just a bit. <laughs> yeah. So what sort of height are you at now, Alan? You're about 250 knots, we reckon, do we? Or maybe more? Oh, I'd probably faster than that. Faster? Then. Yeah, right. I think once on the Thames, I think, i put the speed up. It was only if I was going over built-up area yeah. or, you okay. know, I didn't want, you know, anyone to... Have a heart attack or anything like no. that. Okay. So you now getting out of there was that there? So put yeah, on the power. Yeah, right? and it was just, and then of course. Um, Are you talking a hundred feet, two hundred feet? I don't know what height one would be. Yeah, I shouldn't think one's above hundred feet. I wouldn't Gosh. have thought, but I don't know <laughs> because I mean we we were especially tasked to be able to fly our yeah fly and at hundred feet. I mean you couldn't fly obviously at hundred feet. Um, operationally, mm. always at all, yeah. because it was you know 100 feet's quite low, you know when you're flying fast, and then of course you know as you know I was looking at St Paul's Cathedral, and it had scaffolding round then, <laughs> and I was fascinated by by that, and I was, and then all of a sudden I was looked forward again, and of course I had no idea Tower Bridge was being there. <laughs> it had been there for several. Several yeah, years. yeah, but <laughs> you're quite right. But I had no idea that it would be there right in front of me, you know. And to me, 
the daft thing was we were so used to uh, and training for different targets that to me it was just another little target that <laughs> came up you know that was quite interesting yeah. and I mean there were just seconds to think it through literally it was only about three seconds I think to sort out what I was going to do and I, I went low down over the I forget what you call it now just this side of um, the west side of uh, Tar, oh, Tar Bridge, the, re it's, 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 the Reach there, yeah. whatever it's called, and and I went right down low then, just looked at it and decided quite quickly that the right thing to do was to fly as high as possible. There was this um, red bus coming from the north um, crossing, and... I thought, well, there's still plenty of room above that. If I <laughs> so you'd made the decision at this stage, I'm not going to go over. I'm going to go through. Yeah, it was quite. I mean, it's only literally two or three seconds, and it just seemed. I mean, you know, it sounded a bit odd, but it, it just seemed a very interesting target to me. <laughs> you know, because that's what we were doing all day and every day. Target. Yeah. <laughs> and how to how to do it, yes. and uh, so it seemed logical in a way, just yeah. to. All I was worried about, as I think I mentioned, was having the fin there because at the last second, um, as I flew under, I could see these ruddy great rivets or whatever you call them. <laughs> you know, they, they were so big, these rivets, and I, they seemed so close to me um, over my... So you'd gone purposely a little bit higher... Over, over my canopy. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to get, stay well clear of the bus <laughs> if I could, and um, that was crossing. And... Um, I, I had this amazing view as I went under of, as I say, the wide steel structure mm. at the top, which, um, you know, is where the, um, the passengers walk, sorry, the people crossing the bridge, you know, um, on foot go across. Um, and then at that second, seeing so much of this, I, I suddenly thought, immediately that I'd got a fin behind, you see. My my heart stopped with a kind of shock that I thought at any instant my fin's going to come off and I'm going to have to react bloody quickly, yeah. you know, at that level. And uh, then I was out the other side yeah. and everything was quite all okay. Right. And all I did then was, you know, just to go back um, various other places, back to Raynham. That was a fascinating afternoon listening to that. It was absolutely brilliant. It was the morning. Well, we started in the morning. 12 o'clock. But it was... Oh, I mean, he just has so many stories. I think we could have been there all day, actually, mm -hmm. if he'd let us. But you, he's just a person, inevitably, who has immense character. Because mm. if, if you are the sort of person who's going to do what he did and risk... He still he still has a look of mischievousness about him. That's the, yeah, I was going to say he'd have a twinkle. Yes, he still no, no. definitely did, yes. He knew... What he had done, yeah. you know, he he yeah. was he would do it again tomorrow as well. I think you get that 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 well, feeling. That's what the RAF him. thought too, wasn't yes. it? Yeah. <laughs> they, they thought that he was probably going to mm. do it again. Um, as you'll hear when you listen to the full interview in full flaps, which will uh, be available a week after this particular episode is dropped. So depending on when you're listening to this, it may be available right now. There was one thing which I forgot to ask Alan about actually, James, which was there's this brilliant. Oil painting. I mean, that's the only visual record. It's yeah. really old-fashioned news. 
before cameras. <laughs> they were doing oil could painting. You ma- could you imagine today there'd mm. be a million people? Yeah. Oh, every be- mobile phone would yeah. be on. Yeah, it'd, so yeah. much footage. There's not even a still photograph. No. So Michael Rondo painted this beautiful oil painting. Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, also an RAF pilot. He, mm-hmm. he flew Jaguars amongst many others. And he's done this beautiful painting, which uh, you'll be able to see on our various social media pages. Mm. And um, in it is a picture of a red London bus crossing the bridge, as it was. Mm -hmm. It's got a number one on it, though, (laughs) in reference to number one squadron. (laughs) But also in the picture, if you look very carefully, is a cyclist. (laughs) Now, the story is that this cyclist was the only, in inverted commas, casualty. Yeah, because he fell off his bike with the shock of this hunter going over the top. (laughs) And... um, and ripped his trousers. Mm. And when Alan Pollock <laughs> heard about this, he, he, he got in touch and offered to pay for the No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. The cyclist declined the offer. Isn't that lovely? Yes. I mean, he just classed. If he, if he couldn't it? have be, be, been even more of a legend. No, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's just that's wonderful. So, yeah. so do listen out for the full flaps. And uh, once again, um, Alan Pollock, huge thanks. Absolutely uplifting and an extraordinary story. Right, chaps, you know what's coming now, don't you? Going yeah. home? Not quite. <laughs> There's no, no. one more major there can't be any. There can't be any quiz questions left, can there? <laughs> well, you're right. It's going to be a struggle. But it is time for the Top Landing Gear quiz. <laughs> okay, just let's hear what was it. Here we go. Your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's so fitting as well. From, <laughs> from, from Top Gun. I've got some others you can hear if you like. Do for now. Okay. Jimbo? Mine comes from the... Um, it's not another stick shaker, is it? It's not a stick shaker. Although it might sound like one. <laughs> it's um, It comes from the, uh, the Puma Helicopters uh, Mighty Audio Warning System. Oh, yeah. And it is the warning of low height. Oh, yes. It's supposed to sound better. Possibly than that. worse than the one you had last week. <laughs> Has that ever helped you out of a difficult low height situation? No, because you normally cancel it just after you hear the no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, James. Thank you, and Roy. What have you I, got this week? Maraca, <laughs> sorry. Now my my quiz has been really sabotaged this evening um, because uh, J- James. Came out with my Ray Hanna Spitfire fact, but let's let's try and reword this because James, as he remember, he told us about the Ray Hanna flying his Spitfire MH four three four through a bridge. Oh well, I didn't know the registration number. <laughs> well, it's, it's the one he always flew. It's the one he owned. MH three four. But he threw it under this old stone bridge, which had been built at the end of the eighteenth century in a stunt for the TV series uh, about the Second World War called. A piece of cake mm-hmm. made by London Weekend Television. Do you know where the bridge was? Or the name of the bridge? Yes, James. I'm guessing it was in Shropshire, was it? Iron Bridge or something like that? No, it wasn't Iron Bridge and it was a stone bridge. I think I made that quite Yeah, late. but it was near Iron Bridge. Iron Bridge is a place, not just a bridge. Mm. <laughs> yes, right. Was it, was it in Malaya? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, You'll get a bonus right. point there. <laughs> okay, good point. Oh, okay. good. Hold on, let me just get the score sheet. Um, Jess, do you want to have a go? Give me a count. Can you fly this plane and land it? Surely you can't be serious. <laughs> I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 
Okay. Well, that's not the buzzer we were presented with the start of the quiz. No, I said I had three. If the buzzer's buzzer's longer than the answer, it's quite embarrassing. (laughs) Is it Stony Bridge? (laughs) No, I like that answer, though. That's nice. No, it was called Winston Bridge. It's on the B6274, just west of Darlington, (laughs) on the River Tees. Oh, my God, I can't believe we didn't get that. No, it's on the River Tees. Right, let's do a Hawker Hunter question. Okay. Like the Spitfire... The Hawker Hunter had success in a number of variants, but unlike the Spitfire, there is only one report of a hunter achieving an air-to-air kill in British service. It happened during a conflict in the early to mid-1960s. Does anyone want to have a guess at what that conflict might have been? <laughs> I can give you some clues, some more info, if you'd like me to carry on. You might need to carry on. Okay. Um, is, it, is that British? It's the British Hunter, so British an RAF hunter. service. Right, okay. Correct. Apparently, a hunter got into a manoeuvring contest with a MiG-17, which resulted in the MiG pilot flying his aircraft into the ground. But So that was it. I, that was the I only know, air-to-air the combat. Answers. Right, you stay out of that because you, you've done your research and you know this. So Joe's <laughs> going to very kindly stay quiet. Otherwise, we have no quiz this week. I know that's what you're wanting. <laughs> so the latter stages of this conflict, which ran from 1963 to 66, was known as Operation Claris. But what was the conflict in question? I'll give you another clue. The MiGs were from Indonesia. Yes, was it the Malayan emergency? <laughs> by any chance whatsoever? No, it wasn't. The Malayan emergency, as you should know by now, ran from 1948 until 1960. This happened in 63 to 65, 66. But it's a good effort, Jim. Good effort. Shall I tell you what it was? Well, get Jess. Get his moment. No, I'm not, not, no, he's said enough. You I said you would let me answer this. If come, I, on. come on. It was a little <laughs> was a little conflagration between Indonesia and Malaya. Zia, by the stage. Uh, where well, the, no, that's the whole point. Was it actually Malaya? You've got, you've got it wrong. So, right. all right, no points for you either. You keep doing this. You do your research and then you can't answer the question. It was the <laughs> Borneo confrontation, which was all about the formation of a new state of Malaysia, which was, this is before Malaysia happened in 63. So it was the amalgamation of the Federation of Malaya, Singapore, North Borneo and Sarawak. And thanks in part to the Hawker Hunter and a vast array of RAF aircraft that were sent out there, um, Indonesia's opposition didn't bear fruit and Malaysia was formed on the 16th of September 1963. (laughs) Interestingly... (laughs) In Indonesia you say it will be the judge of that. Amazingly, then right. Indonesia didn't formally Jess, can you recognize give Roy Malaysia. A prod? He's fallen asleep. Indonesia didn't formally recognize Malaysia until 1966, which is extraordinary. That's amazing. Considering the amount of times they must have met. I don't even know what the answer Brilliant. was. Uh, the, it was the Borneo confrontation. Yeah, right, okay. right, whilst Alan Pollock's flight <laughs> under the span of Tower Bridge was the most spectacular, there have been others. What was the most recent and possibly most high-profile flight through Tower Bridge? James Cutler. It was a helichopper going through for the 2012 Olympic opening ceremony. Well done, James. I was going to say that. on. Yeah, I wasn't impressed. Two helicopters, actually, because there was a squirrel camera helicopter, Mm. camera ship, and the the big one it was filming was an Augusta Westland AW139, or Leonardo, they call that, aren't they? Are they? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Well done. Um... Hunters have appeared in several films, including Modesty Blaze and The Lord of the Flies. A Dutch-built F6, which you talked a little about, Jez, appeared in a couple of James Bond films, mocked up to look like something else. Name either of the films. You can have one chance. 
Yes, James. Thunderball. Incorrect. Oh, it was going to be mine. I'm glad I didn't say that. <laughs> just name an, Just name a bomb for uh, The man with the golden gun. Correct. Correct for one. Uh, Roy, I'll give you an opportunity. Thumbs up forever. No, sorry. The other one was Octopussy. The Hunter is powered by the Rolls-Royce Avon turbojet. Yes, it is. Which airliner also used the Avon, having originally been fitted with four DH Ghosts? <laughs> oh, yes, <laughs> The Comet. Correct. Oh, I knew that as well. Oh, it was indeed the Why De Havilland you Comet. Damn. You, you have Buzzer. this problem every single week. <laughs> Well, I'm so interested by the question, I forget to put my phone on. <laughs> You've just slagged me off my question. Well, that was quite a good one. That's a good quiz. <laughs> that was a good question, that last one. It wasn't oh, very high scoring, yeah. was it? No. Apart from I thought you were when are they ever high scoring? <laughs> no, well, let's go through those scores on the doors. Here we are. Uh, in joint last place, with one point each, Roy and Jez. Well, and right. our winner, once again, with two... The expert. Double your <laughs> scores. Double. James Garner, Yay! the expert. Well Almost impressive. Yeah. Well done. Well, on you. well, it's been a fascinating podcast this week. We've covered the hunter and we've covered some amazing audaciousness or yeah. audacity. It's been yeah. absolutely incredible. So um, thank you very much, everyone around the table here. Thank you for listening at home. And remember, you can still hear all our earlier podcasts and their full flaps extended interviews featuring... Former RAF Red Arrows Synchro Pair Leader, Squadron Leader Dave Thomas, Volt Biz Jim Schofield on the Spitfire, Adventure Pilot Amanda J. Harrison and her attempt at emulating Amy Johnson's solo flight to Darwin, as well as John Hutchinson on Concord and George Smokey Bacon on the British Air Show scene, which is opening up at last. And remember, there are loads of places you can go online to check out the latest air show and virtual air show news, such as BritishAirShows.com, Flightline UK, MilitaryAirShows.co.uk, the British Air Display Association website, and indeed many more. So coming up in future episodes of Top Landing Gear with the news that British Airways have retired their entire fleet of 747-400s, as we've discussed, we're planning our own tribute to the Queen of the Skies, involving another fairly audacious bit of flying, and looking further ahead, we're planning on getting out and about to the country's air shows and aviation museums and visiting some of the brilliant display teams out there, both RAF and private operators. We're going to take a, a little bit of rest in between doing that and have a few little weeks off. One or two of us are lucky enough to have a holiday. So uh, in the meantime, let us know anything or anyone you'd like us to feature and we'll try and make it happen. And remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Top Landing Gear. And we're going to persevere with our plea to get you to email us with your questions for our expert, James Gartner, if only to make him think that his part in this podcast is valued in any way. It's info at Top Landing Gear, 2Gs. And however you're listening to us, com. please do leave. Dot com. Oh, yeah, thank you. Info at toplandinggear.com. See, he does have a role. He does have a role. I have to say dot com every time you forget it. Well done. Well done. And however you're listening to us, please do leave a review, especially if you've enjoyed it. And don't forget to listen out for Alan Pollock's extended interview on Full Flaps. In the meantime, thanks for listening and bye for now. That was the longest outro ever. It was long. There's a lot in there. I don't know if I've even said it.